The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Between Two Bears, the newest 1012 Network podcast. Uh, this is Matt is Bear. I'm going to introduce my co-host, Evan Abair, uh, to give you a quick idea of what the show is about. Yeah, Between Two Bears is going to be a it's going to be a great sorry. Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid. Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid side of Baylor sports. Hey, I'm going to try one more time. Between two bears. Okay, uh, Evan, Evan's going to go take a nap. Um, but we are excited to join the 1012 Network along with the rest of their already great lineup of Big 12 podcasts. Check them out at 1012 Network on Twitter and us as well at Matt is Bear and at Evan Hebert. Uh, Sick'em Bears. of who the opponent is for this week. Look, this was probably the most fun game for all of us Kansas fans last year. Um, and hopefully this one will be as entertaining at least, even if the result doesn't go the same way. But to help me preview the Texas Longhorns, joining me again, coming back to the show, good friend of the podcast, Gerald Goodridge. Gerald, how are you doing today? You know, if you'd asked me that like this time last week, I'd have been feeling significantly better. Um, yeah. But... You know, my kids aren't sick anymore, so that's a positive uh, change. But, um, you know, my uh, some football players are injured, which the amount of emotional and mental energy I give to the physical and emotional health of 17 to 22 year olds is probably unhealthy. But it's another conversation for another day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things. Unfortunately, I think I. I feel a lot of these injuries or, or illnesses um, a lot more than I probably should when they're my team that's involved. So, um, you know, I think that's honestly probably where to start because we were all ready to kind of dive in and talk about everything going on. But, um, you know, obviously the big news for Texas this week, there was some there was a couple big injuries, at least that, I, that I'm aware of. Um, we will dive into the offense and the defense and, and all that to kind of figure out. But, um, you know, I, no matter what you take out of last year and all the changes that happened in the off season, I, I feel like that those injuries probably kind of change the way you think about the stuff that's happened in the off season. 
Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, well, one of those guys was something that happened in the offseason. Isaiah Nayor you know, came in uh, as, you know, one of the, the G5, if not the G5 top wide receiver came right. in uh, and was supposed to take a lot of the pressure off of Xavier Worthy. What, what we saw a lot toward the end of last year was, you know, teams basically would play two men on him and dare one of the other wide receivers to be worthwhile, and they couldn't do that. And so hopefully Nayor was going to be a guy who could take some of that pressure off of him non-contact injury in a scrimmage ACL out for the year. So it is, it is what it is. And that one has a lot of folks up in arms, but you know, anybody that's heard me talk about football or heard me talk about um, the Texas Longhorns specifically, I am actually, I'm upset at the Naor injury because it it sucks and you hate to see it, but you know, losing a four year going to his fifth year start with junior Angulao, fifth year starter uh, of junior Angulao at guard. He's the most experienced offensive lineman, most consistent offensive lineman Texas has and offensive line has continued to be a question for Texas. So losing a a guy who stayed around, wanted to get some extra film for the NFL, had a legitimate shot at, but you know, seeing his his name called late in the draft, if not uh, as one of those priority signings at the end of the at the end of the draft that we see the flurry of, uh, you know, he's a guy that takes you out of a position. Something we talk about a lot on our podcast is when you play freshman, you want it to be like a get to situation where it's like, oh, this guy's just so good, we can't keep him off the field. And that loss changes Texas from a get to with some of these five star offensive linemen to a have to. Now they have to play some of these guys because the bodies just aren't there, and so. Here we are yet again, Texas having to play offensive linemen before they're probably physically ready, and we'll see how it works out. Yeah, I was going to say, that that was kind of a big story from last year, right? Well, uh, including teams like the Jayhawks able to kind of stay in. Like, that was a very difficult first half where the offense was very kind of up and down and had a lot of problems because the line couldn't protect. And and I think you saw that with the, you know, the confidence of the quarterbacks early in the year because of there was offensive line issues. Um that is the literally the worst position to have significant injuries because of the continuity that's required to play offensive line properly and kind of everything that goes into trying to, you know, replace someone like that, especially so close to the season. Now, I fully expect by the time we get to this Kansas-Texas game that Texas is going to have it figured out, figure out who it is they want. And, and honestly, some of those, you know, freshmen that uh, probably were going to be getting minutes less frequently will kind of grow into the roles that they need to have. But it, it could get rough for, for, for Texas, especially with Alabama coming up really early in the schedule here. I do wonder, though, before we get to, to that specifically, you know, there was a lot of talk about stuff that was going to have to happen um, in the offseason, right? Because of the way that that, that season ended, there was some, uh, I think the nicest way to put it is there was some questionable stories coming out of the way that the, the players were interacting with coaches and vice versa. There was a lot of cleaning house of players that, you know, potentially had some attitude problems. Um, a lot of stuff happened in the offseason. What, what would you say was probably the most impactful, um, I guess, occurrences that happened in the offseason to try to take them from what could only be described as a, the bad taste of a not successful season and trying to turn it into something this year? Yeah, well, it, it felt like Steve Sarkeesian, like, telegraphed a lot of that coming in, you know, what he if you paid attention to the way he talked about things last year going into the season and when he took over, he talked about being kind of almost shocked at the roster composition. He was talking about how, you know, they had more tight ends than they had scholarship tackles and things like that, where he was taking little pot shots at, at Tom Herman, which deservedly so in a lot of ways, especially with the way that guy composed his roster. And so he telegraphed his punches pretty significantly that he wanted to kind of churn that roster. You know, he, he said, 
in, you know, September, October, November, uh, sometime kind of mid late season that it was possible that they would see 33 new faces on the roster starting this year. And lo and behold, they signed a class of 28 guys and had five transfers. So like that, right. 33 guys. He, he, had it on the nose. They were going for another one, but things didn't work out. You know, the, the bat, the check cleared from USC. He ended up in California and that's fine. But the, the roster turnover and, and creating a, a roster that reflects not just what Steve Sarkeesian wants from his team, but a team that's going to be successful in the SEC. If you look at their, their 2022 recruiting class, it was a, like I said, 28 man class. 14 of those players were on the offensive and defensive line. And, you know, a lot of them, they had, they signed four top 250 offensive linemen in that group. And so they're the, the roster transformation, it's going to continue to, to take shape over the next few years because, you know, freshmen are freshmen. They're 18 year olds playing against and sometimes 22, 23 year old men. And so there's a, there's a difference there, but Steve Sarkeesian delivering on the fact that, you know, there's some churn that's going to happen and needs to happen. And it sucks for some of those guys. A lot of them landed in, in solid spots. You got a couple of guys that ended up in, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they're going to see if they can turn that program around up there. But all in all, like just getting the, uh, talent in that Steve Sarkeesian likes and wants to see in his, his group, you know, everybody's going to talk about the quarterback room and, and Quinn Ewers coming in, but you know, for my money, the, a guy like this, the guy you probably never heard of, Diamante Tucker Dorsey was a linebacker that they got in. He was one of the, again, one of the top G5 players or F- FCS players. Um, but he's come in and, and it's just like his name has been on everybody's lips coming out of practice reports. He's all over the field. He's, you know, breaking up passes. He's in passing lanes and doing those things. And that was a, the linebacker position was a sieve for Texas a year ago. So getting guys that fit what the coaches want um, has just been a a revolution for hopefully – Again, if you had asked me this last week, a season that will look on the up and up, but injuries notwithstanding, uh, the, the rosters, the rosters shifting in the right direction. Well, and, and, and so getting into this year, because I think even when, you know, like, even before the injuries actually happened, you were still looking at a potential, um, I guess, rocky start to the beginning of the season just because of the fact you have so many new players. You know, this is Sarkeesian's opportunity to actually transfer more to the kind of system that he wants as opposed to trying to make it work with, as you put it, a lot of players that he he was fully prepared to churn, you know, off the roster and bring in his own guys. So I feel like this is one of those things where, um, you know, Texas, I think even more so than Kansas fans, are a fan base that sees a light at the end of the tunnel and immediately, like, wants to warp all the way over there and, and, and be there and, and think that they're there. How worried are you coming into this year about maybe high, like expectations that are too high from Texas fan base looking at this team? Because don't get me wrong, it's a very, very talented team. But I think we've seen time and time again, especially when you have a new coach installing a new system and bringing in a bunch of brand new talent, a lot of it young freshmen, um, that could be a problem, especially pretty early if you don't come into it grounded and actually thinking about what's possible. Yeah, you know, Vegas has has the over under for the year had the over under the year I don't know if they've changed the line since the injuries eight and a half games like you know coming off a of five and seven year that always felt like an okay number like eight wins you know that's that's a three game improvement that's you know a, a pretty significant improvement from a year ago which is a stupid thing to have to say when you know <laughs> I, I'm cheering for the University of Texas but that's a separate conversation fair, fair. Um, but you know. I am not like, I'm not the Kool-Aid drinker. I'm an optimist, but I'm not the guy I've been around for 
the last 12 years I've lived in Oklahoma for a big chunk of that. So like, it's been kind of hell on earth for me in some, in some ways, but um, you know, Texas fans have this, this expectation that, you know, and, and you can say what you want about it. The, the, the run from Vince Young to Colt McCoy and that stretch really set the bar pretty high in a lot of folks' minds. And that's what they feel like Texas should be. Um, and that, that's a fair expectation. But I also think when I'm, I'm just going to go and say it. The, the cupboard was really bare when Mac Brown left. He got really lazy toward the end of his tenure. And we saw that bear itself out. And Charlie Strong, unfortunately, was behind the eight ball on the, on the, um, on the roster comp and the attitude and wasn't, wasn't able to dig himself out of it. And again, a loss to Kansas ended his tenure in, in, uh, in Austin. And I couldn't get out of his own way in a lot of ways. You know, he ran kids off because he's kind of just a jerk. And there's some behind the scenes recruiting stories of him pressuring kids to commit before they wanted to. And them deciding not to commit to Texas because of that. And again, that's a, that's a longer conversation for another day, but like, it just feels like at some point Texas has to get out of its own way. And that's really all in, in my, from my estimation, uh, it feels like they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. And so at some point you have to expect with all the resources, with all the the level of alignment that they're trying to get. And it seems like it's gotten everywhere else. Like the basketball team is trending in the right direction. You know, the baseball team trending in the right direction. Women's athletics at the University of Texas is absolutely killing it right now. The soccer team's on the up and up. The volleyball team's going to compete for a national championship. Golf, tennis, all, all of the others, like literally everything but football is trending in a positive direction. And so at some point, They've got to figure out what's poisoning the well. Uh, and until they do that, you know, you can't really take that warp speed jump like you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of one of those things. It's it's odd because, you know, what you were describing with multiple coaches shooting themselves in the foot sounds oddly familiar. The main difference, obviously, is that Texas has a lot more resources to bounce back from that pretty quickly. Um, you know, and, and really, I think that's kind of where we're at is like, I think the expectation is that is that Sarkeesian is going to be able to do that. I just wonder how long it's actually going to take. It definitely won't take as long for him as it would for, or as it will for someone like Lance Leipold because of just what he has to work with, you know, on the roster, the ability to bring in talent, like the, the recruiting class he brought in was absolutely amazing. And that's because of where he is at Texas and the, you know, the, the ability that they have to kind of throw all those resources at it. But coming into the year now, you know, obviously Quinn Ewers coming from, uh, you know, transferring in, really, really high-rated recruit that didn't get an opportunity to play in his first year because he was behind, you know, some really good players over, up at Ohio State. So what what is the expectation for a guy like that coming in who is, before he even gets here, crowned as, like, the starter, the guy that's <laughs> going to, quote-unquote, save the Texas program? Um, and then not too long after he got here, like, Archie Manning, or Arch Manning, I'm sorry, uh, you know, committed. And so, like, how does that... One, what do you expect out of Quinn Ewers this year? And how does the dynamic of having a, you know, quote, supposed generational talent commit right behind you <laughs> um, affect the way that he's going to play this year? Yeah, it, the the Ohio State situation is weird for Ewers because, uh, and as somebody who's who's probably overly invested in the politics of the state of Texas, even though, again, separate conversation for another day, um, you know, he a lot of the reason why he left is because Texas doesn't allow high school players to have um, NIL deals. And so he reclassified, went to Ohio, got paid quite a bit of money to do some endorsements, things, got a free, got a free truck out of the deal. Um, he transferred in like, already when camp he showed up when camp had already started and again he's 
behind a guy who's likely going to play for the Heisman uh, this year. So like that situation is super weird, but as he comes in, um, you know, the expectation for him, again, a lot of people feel like it was a lot, it would be a lot of wasted effort, a lot of wasted time if he isn't the, the, the starter. And again, we'll find out hopefully this weekend after the second scrimmage, whoever separates Hudson, apparently Hudson card is not going gently into the good night, which I'm fine with rising tide raises all ships. If you ask me, but, the expectation for yours is a guy to, to come in and really he's the type of quarterback that can operate Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Like he wants it. He's got the big arm. He can take the downfield shots. He's a bit more of a gunslinger, um, which, you know, for good or ill, you think about, I, I always think of uh, this is not like a quality assessment, but good Brett Favre versus bad Brett Favre, right? When Brett Favre would trust his arm a little too much and, you know, throw a couple of interceptions that were costly, but you know, the, those same trust your arm moments and end up with Super Bowl wins. And so that's the kind of quarterback that, Ewers can come in and be and you know the Arch Manning situation is interesting because Quinn Ewers reclassifying and going to Ohio State and then ending up back at Texas kept the door open for Arch Manning because the Manning family wants Arch to redshirt they've been pretty open about that and so Quinn Ewers now his clock has already started he's only got two years left on campus so Arch's redshirt freshman year would theoretically be uh, Quinn Ewers redshirt red junior year or redshirt sophomore year so his third year uh, out of high school so he would in theory, be able to to head off to the pros, and that opens up the door for Arch Manning to compete for a, a starting job as a redshirt freshman. So the dominoes kind of fell in the right way. It, it cost him a little bit with a 2024 quarterback that's now heading up to Ohio. But you know, the Arch Manning effect thing is is a big deal. There's a reason why a kid like Cedric Baxter out of Florida decided to consider Texas after telling people he wasn't going to leave the state because well, Arch committed to Texas and Texas regardless of how you feel about it, can recruit pretty well. Um, so back to, to Ewers, the expectation in my mind is that I think Quinn Ewers ends the season as the, the starting quarterback. I wouldn't be shocked to see Hudson Card named the starter for the first couple of games of the year and then on a short leash, much like he was last year. Whoever starts against Alabama is going to get eaten alive because Texas is probably going to start a freshman left tackle and Will Anderson's going to eat that kid for lunch. Like it's just, Will Anderson should have won the Heisman last year. He should win the Heisman this year, but he won't because Heisman voters are cowards. So like he's probably should be the guy to win the Heisman. Uh, and that's no shot at a freshman left tackle who's going to be having to try to block the presumptive number one draft pick here coming up uh, in six months or so. So like the expectation is, Come in, be a. Fr- There's going to be growing pains. Trust your arm, trust your receivers, and hopefully win a game that Texas probably shouldn't this year and, and build some momentum into hopefully a healthier 2023. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of looking at the rest of the offense then, because like we've already talked about how offensive line is potentially an issue for this team, and, and we can dive back into that here in just a minute. But, um, you know, wide receivers obviously are, are – an issue like you said Xavier Worthy had a lot of attention paid to him and I don't I don't know that there's anyone else on this roster and definitely correct me if I'm wrong but I don't know if there's anyone else on this roster especially with the injury now that can help take that pressure off of him which makes it a lot harder to play the downfield type of game that I assume that Texas wants to play um running back like it's been kind of up and down obviously for Texas you have Bijan Robinson of course but um, you know, he went down at one point in the season and it didn't like you thought that they had a really deep room behind him. But I don't know that I really saw that. And I, I don't know how much of that's because of all the attention that Bijan 
normally got that it was just a huge drop off because that's naturally the way it is. But what are the rest of those, you know, skill position players like in terms of what are they going to try to do offensively? Are they going to be, you know, try to chuck the ball down the field or is it going to be more of a ball control, you know, running type, you know, wide screen passing that sort of game? I don't know if you could ever call a Steve Sarkeesian offense like a ball control offense. Well, but, fair. I um, mean, yeah. I mean, no, I'm just, I'm just messing yeah. with you. <laughs> but, um, you know, Texas is, I think, shockingly deep at the running back spot when you look at it. You know, uh, now that being said, Roshan Johnson's probably going to miss a couple of games. He had an ankle injury in that same scrimmage that was, we're, we're dubbing Bloody Saturday. But, uh, you know, a year ago, he's the, he's the only reason why Texas, won five games instead of four he in that um in that kansas state game to end the season he was he's a converted quarterback came to running back he converted to running back you know three years ago because texas didn't have a running back they were all injured and he was like i want to do what's best for the team and he's now a guy who's getting nfl like chatter he was on uh the the freaks list this year he's a guy who's going to test well he's going to you know high character guy so he's probably going to see his name at least uh on on somebody's you know priority free agent list at the end of the year but you know he on a per carry basis was actually had a higher average than Bijan robinson a year ago now obviously there's a volume difference there of 100 carries but uh, you know when he was when he's a different style of runner than Bijan. Bijan is very, um, you know, one cut, put a foot in the dirt. And Roshan's just the kind of guy who's just going to like, I'm going to put a cleat in your backside and see if I can walk over you, which I appreciate as somebody who likes uh, watching old school football. The, the, the impetus for the running game is probably going to fall now on a guy, Jonathan Brooks. He's a red shirt freshman. Um, he is a guy that people dub JB2K. He was the top running, one of the top producing running backs in the state of Texas a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Stan Drayton, a guy who's who's known as kind of a running back whisperer, watched his tape and identified him early. Texas was his first offer. He committed. Um, but he's a guy who has showed flashes last year. But again, he's a redshirt freshman. So there's there's questions there. Um, so I think there is there is meat on the bone. But again, I think a lot of the issue, it's going to come back to the offensive line at wide receiver. It's more of a health thing because Jordan Whittington, when he was healthy, was a great safety valve for um, the quarterbacks. He was a third down guy. He's the guy who he was another former five-star two-way guy from a, a smaller size school Quero, but he's a five-star uh, offensive and defensive MVP in the state championship game. Like that kind of athlete um, played a little running back move to wide receiver. He plays in the slot. He's a guy, but he's had injuries year after year. This is he, three straight years, three straight injuries. What um, finally last year wasn't a season ending injury. Just he missed four games. So if he can stay healthy, he's a guy that, that will draw some attention, but it's that, it's that third wide receiver spot opposite of, of Xavier worthy. That was hopefully going to be Isaiah Nayor. Um, you know, Texas got a transfer in Tariq Milton from uh, Iowa state who, you know, He's he's a guy who has played a lot of football. He's got an opportunity. Troy Omieri is a kid who was supposed to kind of be the next big name in Tom Herman's offense. He's the type of wide receiver Tom Herman likes, but back-to-back knee injuries. <laughs> so he's missed the last two years. So if he can come in and trust that knee, he's a kid that can hopefully light it up. Redshirt freshman Casey Kane apparently has been flashing. Steve Sarkeesian name-dropped him in a, uh, in a presser recently. So there are questions there there's talent like it's texas so there's going to be talent but can any of them translate that talent from the practice field to the game field that's going to be the question yeah and and that's a really really big question like unfortunately um you know when you have questions about everything there in the lineups 
Um, it's very, very difficult, I think, at times to really kind of know what to expect going into the year. The one thing, though, that you cannot question is the fantastic lineup from sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, all kinds of great stuff. Um, look, they have over 125 different schools. They are right smack dab. Actually, they're getting ready, I think, to wrap up big new Saturday season four here soon. Um, but they have everybody in the Big 12, both current membership and future membership. So, you know, Big 12's first conference actually have all of that happen. It's absolutely fantastic. I love every single line from every single Big 12 team. They are absolutely fantastic. I already have way too much stuff, but I'm already looking to get more. You too can go ahead and grab some great comfortable apparel from Homefield by going to homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code CHOP12. Get 15% off your entire first order and all orders over $100 have free shipping. All right, Gerald, I do want to go ahead and jump over. We'll talk just a little bit about the offensive line and then jump over to the defense. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big Ten, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. I'm here with Gerald Goodridge of the Longhorn Republic podcast uh, was nice enough to have me over on his podcast to do a Kansas preview. So we are returning the favor. It's actually kind of funny. We, we got in touch with each other at the exact same time, like asking <laughs> each other to be on each other's podcast. So, but we got done talking about the offense, except for the offensive line, which we kind of, you know, teased a little bit in, you know, early, um, you know, I, I don't know that uh, given some of the questions that it would be super beneficial to dive into like everything going on with the offensive line, but we did talk about that injury. What is the, I guess, the best expectation for what Texas is going to do along that offensive line, given how important it is and how big of a problem it's been in the last few years? Yeah, it, it looks like what's what's going to end up happening, and I mentioned it, Texas landed, you know, two top 20 offensive linemen from the 2022 class in Kelvin Banks and, and DJ Campbell. Kelvin Banks was a kid who was committed to uh, Mario Cristobal over at Oregon uh, and a bit of a surprise uh, that he committed to Oregon. But then when Cristobal left for Miami, things opened back up and uh, Kelvin Banks decided to come on home. And, and the other one, DJ Campbell, the five-star guard, Texas kind of led wire to wire. He went to a school that was burnt orange colored already. And like, if you look good in burnt orange, it's hard to do. So like, why do, like, don't want to change your, your wardrobe? Just come on over. Uh, <laughs> I was so, saying, it, it is hard to look good in burnt orange. Very hard. Very hard. It's, it's you got to have the right skin tone. You know, there are only few colors that you can match with it if you're trying to go, you know, khakis or, you know, it, it is what it is. But um, so it looks like those two are probably going to end up slotting in through the route sooner rather than later. I've gone on record, you know, prior and said that I would, I expected both of them to be starting my conference play, but it looks like Kelvin Banks has already moved into uh, the, the left tackle spot, at least based on, you know, the open practice and what Texas showed. They had an open practice this week and he was running with the ones regularly. So it looks like Kelvin Banks uh, moved his way up the depth chart. You know, Texas had another, another alignment get banged up he'll be back for the um for the kickoff the season kickoff this year but um dj campbell the the other five-star lineman at guard at, at right guard has seemed to step in and take that role so you know they've got a returning center who started all last year uh the the right tackle job is going to be interesting they've got 
three guys to choose from, really. Uh, Andre Carrick is a kid who needs to bulk up. He's more of a Herb Hand offensive lineman, the old, uh, the old outgoing offensive line coach, a little skinnier, a little leaner, longer arms. Herb Hand likes him, you know, six, seven. He gets, if they could still move and be 400 pounds, he'd have a six, seven, 400 pound offensive lineman. He likes the brown. He likes them big. Uh, he's sort of mixed a lot of offensive line coaches. Uh, so it, it's the, the, the right tackle spot is the one you're going to have to watch out for. And then obviously with Angulao going out, uh, there's going to be a, a redshirt freshman likely starting at at the left guard position. So a lot of young guys, again, all highly recruited, highly touted kids, but off, if there's one spot that I hate having to play young, it's the, it's the offensive and defensive line because a 22-year-old man who's been in a college strength and conditioning and nutrition program for four years is just a different type of body than than those guys have been facing for the last four years. So, right. um, yeah, like, that's, that's the main the reason, down. right, the main reason you, like, look forward to having freshmen start is not because when they're playing as freshmen, it's the ex- extra experience they get when they're juniors and seniors and how just fantastic those players are when they get there. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I think ideally what you typically want to be doing is either have a, a full group of freshmen come in that are all highly rated, that are all really good and grow together. And then you have a fantastic offensive line in years, you know, maybe two and a half, three and four. Um, or you want to have, you know, two groups, like a young group and then a, a older group that are kind of rotating back and forth that way. That's like ideal. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen a lot, but we're, I want to jump from the offensive line to the defensive line because I think defense is honestly super important in the big 12, as much as this has been an offensive league in for a really, really long time. um, You know, we have found out here in the last few years that if you want to have a good Big 12 team, you have to have a good defense, that the best defenses have been the ones that make a difference because everybody has an offense that can move the ball. The real question is how many times can you stop your opponent? So jumping over to Texas, they had some problems with that last year. I think the uh, the, the Kansas game was the perfect example of that when Kansas runs up and down and scoring that many points. Um, you probably have some defensive problems. I, I don't think I have to tell you that. So <laughs> looking at the defense this year, what are the big differences? Like, is it a scheme difference? Is it a personnel difference? Or is it, I mean, it's it's obviously some degree of both. But if you had to pick, like, what the biggest difference was, is it just bringing in better players? Or is it changing the way that they're actually doing things? I think it's, it's you know, I'm, I want to hedge there. But I think the, I think one of the big differences you're going to see in the defensive line is that the linebackers are going to be better, which is, a, which is going to sound weird, but... You know, Texas had basically what amounts to two walk-ons playing linebacker for a lot of the year last year. Jet Bush um, and uh, Jet Bush and uh, Tom, uh, one of the Brockermeyer brothers, the Brockermeyer that didn't get a scholarship early on, um, the the, the, the Brockermeyer elder brother. Uh, I just blanked on his name. It's fine. But uh, so the emergence of Jalen Ford and that transfer I mentioned, Diamante Tucker Dorsey coming in at linebacker, especially passing in high leverage situations, Texas is going to kind of scaffold the defensive line in the edge uh, by bringing DeMarvin Overshone closer to the line. And that's going to help quite a bit with setting an edge. So that is going to obviously step things up a bit. Uh, there are going to be some guys who were freshmen a year ago, like true freshman a year ago, playing guys like, you know, Vernon Broughton, Al, uh, Alfred Collins is a little banged up, but he's going to play, um, you know, Baron Sorrell's a guy who, you know, played you know, a ton toward the end of the year. So these are true freshmen a year ago uh, that were still trying to figure out how to play the game. Byron Murphy's another guy in the middle, uh, you know, coming in at 310 pounds. I, I, 
there's a lot of young talent that they had to lean on last year because the older guys weren't getting it done. So if we're not getting it done, we're going to play the young kids. And so those guys with a full off season under their belts, another year of growing into their grown man bodies, I think is going to help a lot. And again, I think the, the emergence of uh, the two other linebackers is going to allow Texas to be a little more multiple with probably the best athlete they got on defense, which is Marvin Overshone, the guy who's likely going to see his name on called on the second second day of the draft is likely what I'm seeing a lot of the projections for him. Uh, so, you know, a, a third-ish round guy, uh, which is not bad based on what Texas has put in the draft as of late. Uh, so like that, I think is going to be a big differentiator for Texas uh, along that front is Texas is going to have more tools to work with and the, and the guys that were there last year have grown into it. Yeah, I mean, and that makes a huge difference, obviously, having guys that are experienced in the system that you want to do. Um, but, you know, Kansas fans, I think, are very well aware of how a bad um, linebacking core or a super thin linebacking core can cause lots of problems for, you know, both your defensive line and for your defensive back. So, um, you know, there is a reason why the linebacking core is like the base foundation of a defense, because if it's bad, it makes it hard. Like you, you have to have good lines to kind of control and, and have a good pass rush and all of that. But if the linebacking core is, is bad, like there's so many dump off passes that are available that it's, it's almost as if you don't have a pass rush at all. So, um, yeah, I definitely understand how that can, how that can be an issue, um, so looking really quick, because unfortunately we, we are starting to run out of time here a little bit, and I do want to get to the schedule, but uh, looking at kind of the defensive secondary um, and then really kind of back to front, um, who are some guys that you're expecting to really stand out this year on the defense for Texas? Yeah, so I mentioned DeMarvey and Overshone. Texas, you know, grabbed a, another transfer from Ohio State that's probably going to lock down one of the corner spots uh, and then flipped a, a freshman cornerback from Ohio State that's probably going to play the opposite corner. Uh, you know, Deshaun Jamison's a guy who's an elite athlete that he's always been on the cusp. It feels like he's been standing on the precipice for four years now. And so at some point, he's either got to crap or get off the pot, and I'm hoping he, he actually decides to do something this year. Um, you know, sa the safety spot is going to be interesting. They're, they're uh, cycling and rotating guys in and out. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. But I think uh, if by the end of the year you're not hearing – um, the Texas cornerbacks have stepped up, then, then I think you're probably uh, the the ship has sailed on the defense being any good and any uh, worth anything this year. Yeah, it's it's funny because I was talking with uh, with Albie Shore last last week about Texas Tech and the cornerbacks and the safeties were expected to be the strength of their defense, which unfortunately is not a good thing when you're in the Big Twelve. Like if if that's no. the strength of your defense, your defense probably isn't going to be that good just because of how difficult it is in the Big Twelve. Um, you know, to actually win games by relying on the backfield, basically. Um, no matter so, how good your yeah. no matter how good your defensive backs are, if a quarterback's got nine seconds to throw, somebody's going to be open. Right, exactly, exactly. You can only cover for so long. So, all right. So, so kind of taking that and kind of looking at this team or, or looking at this schedule. Obviously, we we kind of teased it early. It is a very difficult schedule for them this year, um, mainly just because you know non-conference they're playing uh alabama <laughs> which mm -hmm. yeah. is not going to be very easy at all i do find it a little bit hilarious about the fact that it is an 11 a.m game um when there's a lot of people that like to complain about the marquee matchups for the big 12 being at 11 a.m um you know it'll be very interesting to kind of see how that how that kind of plays out but looking over the schedule i'm not sure that really texas got any favors at all looking at the schedule like there's not like a stretch of two games where you expect to to you know have two really easy games like 
you can say what you want about Texas Tech, but that one's on the road in Lubbock, and Texas always seems to have problems with that early in the season, especially. Oh, yeah. um, you know, you can if if you think that West Virginia is not going to be that great this year, sure, that's a great game that you know you don't necessarily have to worry as much about. But then Oklahoma's the next week, so you got to make sure you don't look ahead to them. You know, then you face Iowa State coming off of the Oklahoma game, so it's like there doesn't really appear to be any kind of breaks. There's no no real place to you know take a breather. I think probably the only good thing that you can say is that you get the bye week late in the season between a visit to Oklahoma state and then a visit to Kansas state. So looking over the schedule, like what were your general impressions about this schedule and, and how difficult of a slate do you think it is for the Longhorns this year? Yeah. I mean that, that, that late bye is a blessing and a curse because I think, you know, you come out of what's probably going to be back-to-back rock fights of Iowa state and Oklahoma state. Like it'd be nice to have a bye week before or between those two, because those are going to be, um, not those are gonna be very tough physical games and again especially a team that's gotten banged up in the preseason having that late bye kind of bites you in the keister um you know i i really i'm like i've already chalked up the alabama thing is just like let's just not get embarrassed like that's my that's my big it's just like don't don't lose by 90 like just don't don't look like uh don't look like an fcs team against uh, alabama, I see. adopting the the old kansas slogan <laughs> don't lose by 90 <laughs> You know, and, and the, like, I'm not trying to be defeatist, but like, <laughs> it, it, Alabama had a rebuilding year last year, as Nick Saban called it, and got, was, you know, a couple of quarters away from being a national championship and a rebuild. So like, Alabama's just in a different plane of existence. There, the there is no parents. way. I don't care what Saban says. There's no way that was a <laughs> rebuilding year. Come on. He, he's playing the media, but, uh, you know, UTSA is going to be tough week three. Thankfully, they lost, they lost a bunch on that defense from a year ago. They kind of kept them in a lot of games. So that makes me feel a little bit better. It playing in Lubbock's like playing on Mars. Like I never, I hate going to Lubbock. I was on the sidelines when Michael Crabtree caught that catch. And so like I've never fully recovered from that. Like 20 years later, it feels like, uh, you know, I like in my mind, the schedule again did not do Texas any favors. Um, getting Oklahoma State before before the bye is probably the one that really hurts because I think Oklahoma State is going to be really good this year, and so I would love to see that bye week, you know, after Game Seven instead of Game Eight, give them a week to rest up. You know, the the only only nice thing is that if Texas needs, you know, three ish wins after the bye to get bowl eligible, right. which is a dumb like, thing to have to say, um, you know. T- <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like I legitimately don't know what, it, what, it, what it shakes out to be because again, you asked me a week ago, I feel differently, but you know, it's a banged up team. It's losing key talent. So TCU could be really good. Kansas is bringing back a ton of talent. Uh, and Baylor, I think is, I've got Baylor penciled into to Arlington already. So like, that is just. Right. Like it's, it it's one of those things. Unfortunately, I think the teams that you would benefit the most from playing at the end of the year um, are not there. Like you're, you're playing like Kansas, I think is a team you would probably benefit from playing early TCU for sure. Like you benefit a oh, lot yeah. by playing TCU really early in the year before they have a chance to develop anything. I think Kansas state's a similar sort of thing where if they're going to be good this year, they're going to be good at the end of the year. I think they're going to have a lot of speed bumps with Adrian Martinez, you know, kind of running the show there. So, um, (laughs) and and especially early as they try to get everything kind of going, I I definitely envision a scenario where Kansas state could get rolling by the end of the year and actually end up being a pretty good team, which unfortunately is right when Texas actually plays them. So um, yeah, I don't think that the, the timing really does Texas any favors. Of course, all of this is assuming that, you know, everything kind of comes together for them in that first year, the first real year under Sarkeesian, I think uh, just kind of given everything that's going on as he's, 
reset the program. So, all right. So, so obviously final question, I do this with, with pretty much everybody. Um, predictions for the season, because we've talked about a lot of the issues that Texas has, obviously, a lot of the possibilities for them. If you're looking at this season, how do you actually expect the end of the year to look like for the Longhorns? You know, I, I've been saying for a lot, for weeks now that, that eight, eight and four was kind of what I wanted to see out of Texas. Again, that was before the Angulau injury. That was before the Nayer injury. Um, and I, the issue with those two injuries is that it kind of brings the floor down. I think the ceiling is still where the ceiling is going to be, but, um, you know, in my mind, there, there, there's at least a, it, there's at least a game difference in losing those two guys, like a full game. And so, you know, Vegas has a line at eight and a half. I think it's probably seven and five season is probably, I don't know where the, I could, if you told me to go through and say, who, who are the five that Texas, uh, or who are the seven that Texas beats? I couldn't tell you. ULM is one. I'll go ahead and pencil them as, if them in as one. I, I would hope uh, so. <laughs> but, but outside of that, if you, you know, gun to my head, I couldn't call them game to game. I've got, gut feelings i've got you know the fan the, the burn orange lenses as we call it on our podcast that i'm that i'm seeing through um but texas was in a lot of games last year texas had an opportunity to beat baylor they had an opportunity to beat uh oklahoma state last year they had an opportunity to beat famously ou last year and so uh they've gotten better from last year and they were a couple of series away from being eight and four last year instead of five and seven and so it's hard for me to come off too far because if Texas brought back the same team and some of those coin flips go the other way as coin flips do, they're an eight and four team a year ago. And so seven and five feels right. Again, if you had, if I, if I was pressed to say which seven those are, I couldn't tell you, but seven and five feels right ish. Now we could play this and I could be on, you know, freezing, you know, freezing cold takes later on in the year, but like seven and five feels right. I don't know what, what those are, but, that's where I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I mean, that that feels about right to me, too, just given everything kind of going on. I mean, I, I've, I've heard all the hype that, you know, Sark could, could get this turned around really quickly. And while I still think it's possible, I think I said over on the 10-12 that, that uh, I could envision a scenario where Texas went 11-1 and and with, you know, with the only loss to Alabama, but everything would have to go right for them. I think yeah. with those injuries, I think that's a lot less likely now that that could actually happen, yeah. but... Um, you know, what I did hear from you, though, is what it sounded to me, though, is like Texas is going to be bowl eligible after a win against TCU. And then they're going to lose to Kansas and then beat Baylor to end up seven and five and go to a bowl game. So, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd be all for that. But serious question, though, if they did go seven and five and made it to a bowl, but had a second straight loss to Kansas, what does that locker room and what does that fan base look like? I think it depends on who else Kansas has beaten because it's like if Kansas hits on the over this year, which I, if I was a betting man or if betting was legal in my state air quotes, right. Uh, like I, I would probably smash the over for Kansas pretty hard. Oh yeah, for sure. Get, for sure. Get paid out mid season. Right. Um, so like you could probably get paid depends, out after week four on a, honestly right? on that. But I think again, it depends because last year P- Kansas had people crap in the bed like six or seven times, like, Oh, you right. Like the, there are a lot, there was a lot of meat left on the bone for Kansas a year ago. And so I think it depends on if it's, you know, if it's Kansas under um, less miles or if it's Kansas, Kansas under, you know, Mark Mangina, right. Like, is that, those are two vastly different expectations. Uh, But, but I would be upset. 
I I would probably have to delete my Twitter account because I'm just I I'm I'm not I have enough enough stress in my life. I've got three small children. <laughs> I, you know, I work full time. I do a podcast oh, on the side. Like I would just have to delete the bird app and and just be done with the internet. Well, the one thing you can take solace in is that if you're going to be on freezing cold takes, then I'm probably going to be there mm-hmm. as well because. I am the person that predicted that Kansas was going to beat K-State in the finale to become bowl eligible. So, and if that actually happens and, you know, they did beat Texas, I think that would take a little bit of the sting away, um, you know, for having lost to Kansas because Kansas surprised everybody and goes to a bowl game. Like, saying you lost to a bowl game or a bowl team is a lot different than saying you lost to a, you know, 1-11 Kansas. So, all right, Gerald, thank you so much for joining me. I think we've learned a whole lot about Texas, unfortunately – all the stuff that we had to learn about because it all changed so quickly. But for, for people that want more information about Texas um, to kind of follow them throughout the year and are intrigued by the story, where can they find all your work online? Uh, you can follow me personally at GH Goodridge. That's not going to be strictly Texas. I also tweet movies and I tweet some politics and stuff. I'm pretty um, vocal about my feelings on the education system in this country and how we did a disservice to teachers and kids. Uh, but you can also follow me on uh, my, my, podcast twitter is at longhorn pod you know we i still don't know how that was available when we started yeah, the podcast exactly. but we lucked into it we grabbed it and so uh, at longhorn pod on twitter uh we would love to have you and then uh, obviously you know we had andy on our show again you know this week so come check out our kansas preview and, and uh well we asked Andy questions yeah you know it, it actually worked out perfect this is the only time where i've had the guest on the exact same time that i'm going on their podcast to talk about it like i'll be I jumped on his podcast like two weeks before I had him on to talk about Texas Tech. So the the timing worked out perfect. You can listen to both sides of this game and, and previewing both of these teams in the exact same week. So, Gerald, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, you know, give us a rating and review, five stars, nice comments. Sub- subscribe so you can get every episode of the, of the podcast as soon as it comes out. But um, that, that rating and review really does help to get the podcast seen by more people so we can do more great things. If you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You can follow me personally at andymitz12. And, of course, we are part of the 1012 Podcast Network. It's a bunch of different podcasts covering all the teams in the Big 12. Um, you know, we we have a Texas show. We have basically everybody at this point, except for a couple of the people that still are not uh, uh, here yet in the conference. And we're, you know, a, a couple of the current schools. But we're looking to get all that flushed out um, pretty soon here before all the new schools join. So make sure you're over there following and, uh, and, you know, getting caught up with all of the great action happening in the Big 12 conference. But make sure you visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, of course. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Promo code CHALK12 will get you 15% off that entire first order. But that is going to do it for us. Gerald, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Phoenix, aka I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother Jeremy J and Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. 
If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys.